Hey, it's great to see everybody. If you're joining us online, thanks for worshiping with us through Facebook Live. Hey, it is time for Kids Church, and so fifth grade and under, you guys are dismissed. Go have a great worship time together. And say, man, whew, there's a bunch of them today. Like, I feel like a third of the room just left. <laughs> hey, there, you're probably right about that, Steve, but I'm going to say this. They probably have uh, more energy and excitement uh, than, than some of you. <laughs> just put it there. <laughs> just put it that way. Hey, I am really glad that you guys are here. We're in, uh, I think, part six of our sermon series we've been in uh, for the last few weeks called The Gospel of Mark, where we've just been taking a look at different passages through the Gospel of Mark and working our way through it. And, you know, of course, it's going to culminate in Mark chapter 16, which talks about the resurrection. And we're going to talk about that on Easter Sunday, which is coming up. So think about who you're going to be bringing to church with you on Easter Sunday because people are much more likely to come to church on two Sundays, Christmas and Easter. And so one of those is coming up. It's kind of our Super Bowl. So let's make a big deal about it and let's have, let's have a packed house. Be sure to bring somebody with you. Don't just invite somebody. Right? You invite somebody, they might come. If you bring somebody, they'll be here, right? So, so bring somebody with you. Hey, this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Mark chapter 8. And we'll take a look at that passage here in just a few moments. But I want to tell you a story back, that happened back in August of 2003. In August of 2003, the Church of the Holy Cross in New York City was robbed. Not once, but twice. In a span of four weeks, uh, the first time, the, the thieves made away with a metal money box that was sitting by a, a, uh, a candle rack, a, kind of a ritual candle rack that didn't have a lot of money in it, and so they, they didn't get what really they thought they were going to get. And so they came back. About three weeks later, they came back, and this time they took something much more valuable. They unbolted a four-foot-long, 200-pound plaster Jesus from a meditation area, and they took the statue of of Christ off this wooden cross and they went out the door with it but they left the wooden cross on the wall they took Jesus they left his cross the church caretaker David St. James confessed his confusion at this he said they just decided we're gonna we're gonna take Jesus and we're gonna leave his cross we don't know why they took him we we just figured if you want the crucifix you take the whole crucifix right in other words David St. James was saying if you want Jesus you have to take his cross too now, I'll tell you, it's a bit embarrassing to admit this, but I understand the choice of those thieves. I mean, I like the figure of Jesus. I, I like his clever and compassionate way that, that he treated people. I admire his clarity and the balance in, in his ethical teachings. I, I love his stories. I mean, he, Jesus was a great storyteller. The, the, the character of Christ is the ideal of, of health and wholeness toward which I want to grow more and more and toward our toward which I think all of us want to grow more and more. The whole world would be better if we all lived according to the ways of Christ, right? Right? Okay, I'll say if not, then like we're wasting time. We can pray and go home now if, if we don't think that. But, but right, everybody would be better. The whole world would be better if we lived like Christ. According to almost every study I've read, millions of people, even those who would hardly darken the door of a church or have serious questions about God and faith, millions of people are quite attracted to the figure of Jesus. Wasn't it Gandhi that said, I like Jesus, his people not so much? I mean, it, I think that was, it was a Gandhi quote. 
lots of people like Jesus, but his cross, that's a little bit more complicated. Some of us, we prefer not to get too close to the cross. I mean, isn't there already enough violence and blood and cruelty in the world? Hasn't religion often wrapped itself up in, in that same kind of horror in the name of God? I mean, think back to your middle school social studies and, and when you studied about the Crusades, one of the, the bloodiest and most horrific times in the world, and it was all done in the name of Jesus. I mean, that, that's a, it's a black eye on Christianity. Who wants to associate Jesus with those sort of things? Nobody, really. Like, right. We like the idea of Jesus, this, this kind and compassionate figure. And so we can appreciate that kind of sentiment that we don't want to attach too much violence to him. I think there's another reason, though, that I, I'm inclined to take Jesus and leave the cross. Because there are times when, in all honesty, I want to look at the cross and I want to take in how, in, in awe of, of how Jesus suffered for me. You know, the cross fills me with awe and gratitude, and hopefully it does you as well. You know, I don't fully understand why Jesus voluntarily chose to die and pay the price for my sins, along with millions and billions of other people around the world, right? I don't, often, I don't understand that. I often think, thank God that Jesus died on the cross so I wouldn't have to. Thank God Jesus died on the cross so we wouldn't have to, right? On one level, it's true when Christians say Jesus died on the cross so that we don't have to. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes this, he says, I want to remind you of the good news that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. What Paul is describing is what some theologians would call the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Now, this doctrine, and, and I get that's kind of a weighty thing to talk about, this doctrine states that, that Jesus voluntarily, or he substituted himself in place of our punishment, that, that, that should have been ours, that was rightfully ours, that was um, deservedly ours, because of our sin. He, he threw himself, so to speak, in front of evil's bullet. If there's, a, if there's Satan shooting a gun, he pushed us out of the way, he took the bullet for us. He, he pushed us out of the path of judgment that was thundering down on us because of our sin. The, the one innocent being, the only innocent being in the entire universe, said to the divine court, said, Your honor, I'll be executed in their place. Let them go. Christ's substitutionary role is, is the towering mystery that unites Christ followers all around the world and has for centuries. And I hope that you've just taken a moment to, to stand back in awe and amazement of that. I mean, think about that truth, that Christ died for you. I mean, I don't, we, look, we're, most of us are church people. We've been church people for a long time, right? So, so we kind of brush through this, that, hey, yeah, Christ died for my sins. That's, that's why I come to church, right? But how often do we actually ever stand back and just take a moment to think about that? And what a weighty thing that is, that Christ died for my sins. Look, I love all of you here. I don't know that with the exception of maybe one or two that I'm willing to die for any of you. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. And look, you can feel the same way about me. It's okay. There's no feelings hurt in that. You know, I love my kids. I will die for my kids. I love my wife. I will die for my wife. The rest of you? I'm just saying. You know, it's, it's a good thing I'm not God. All right? I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it's good that I'm not God. But, but the primary reason would be that if I have to die so that you don't go to hell, well, guess what? You're probably going to hell. I mean, let's just, 
But, but that's, that's the heaviness and the weightiness of what Jesus did for us. He died so that we wouldn't have to. He took our punishment so that we would not have to endure that kind of punishment. And I hope that we have taken a moment just to stand back and be filled with awe and gratitude of that. There are a couple other good reasons why I think someone might choose to take Jesus but leave the cross. He might do it because you don't want to get too close to blood. I mean, think about this. People aren't really fond of blood. I mean, I know nurses have to deal with blood. And, and uh, my mother, when she was uh, young and even still, if she can't give blood because every time she goes to give blood, she passes out. And so they just don't do it. When I was working at the hospital in Glasgow, I was working as a security guard there. And we had an incident one night where somebody had been shot. And it was uh, as gang-related as we were going to have in Glasgow. And so, so they bring this, this young boy in, and he is just bleeding out, as, and, and it just doesn't look good for him. And so they're pumping him full of blood, and we've got the whole hospital on lockdown because the police have told us that there's going to be retaliation, and people are walking around the hospital. So we've got everything locked down, and I'm standing back in this trauma room as the security, right? So big bad me, right? That's, that's me, armed with a mag light and pepper spray. And, and so... I, I'm standing in this room, and, and they, these, the doctors and nurses, God bless them, they are working as hard as they can on this kid. And then there was a pop that sounded like a gunshot, and blood everywhere. And everybody did the same thing in that room. We all hit the ground. We all dove to the ground, and we waited for a couple of seconds, and then we all kind of started, you know, filling our bodies, making sure it wasn't us that had been shot, making sure that it wasn't us that was bleeding out. And then we realized what had happened. They've got this, this I, medical people don't, don't fuss at me about this, I think it's called a, a rapid infuser, which is just designed to get blood into the patient more quickly. And so they've got this hooked up to this kid, and, and his blood pressure cuff had slid down over top of that. And when the blood pressure cuff kicked on, it squeezed that and it built all of this pressure up in that blood bag until eventually that blood bag exploded. And it sounded like a gunshot. And all this blood that was supposed to go into this, this, uh, this patient is now splattered all over the room. Now, after the patient was okay and things had calmed down a little bit more, we could all look at it, stand back and laugh about it and think, ha-ha, it was kind of funny. But I'm going to tell you, nobody wanted to clean it up. It was a mess. Nobody wanted to, you know, I, it was all over my uniform, so I, I went home and, and changed uniforms and came back to work. And nurses, they, they tried to find extra pairs of scrubs because we were covered in blood. Nobody wants to be near blood. But sometimes I think it's because... We don't want to shed any of our blood. I think that's one of the reasons that we don't want to get too close to the cross because we don't want to shed any of our blood. If it's going to cost us something, if it's going to hurt us, if it's going to be physical, if it's going to cause us to bleed a little bit, I mean, we don't want any part of that. Al March was telling me a story this morning about he cut his finger and as he was cleaning a knife that he was, after he'd been preparing food. Al, I don't know if you all know, most of you know this, Al is kind of our resident chef around here. And uh, so he was getting things ready for, for dinners tomorrow, and, and then he said, and that's when he cut his, 
thumb. I said, so what you're telling me is that there's a piece of your thumb in the roast beef that we're... we're he said, no, he said, I had already cooked everything. But he's showing me this gap, and, and he doesn't like it, right? Nobody likes to shed their own blood. And so if, if, if taking up the cross of Jesus is going to cost me something, it's going to physically cost me something like my blood, well then, sometimes we just leave it behind. We like the figure of Jesus. We like being forgiven people. But we're not sure we want to follow or be formed by Jesus if it means taking up our cross. But following Jesus does mean that we have to take up our cross. For forgiveness of sin and the blessing of eternal life comes through accepting what Jesus did on the cross. But truly following Jesus, being formed into, into the image of Jesus and knowing His abundant life comes through accepting what we must do with our own cross. And, and we... Look, I, I rail sometimes about culture, but, but we've adopted this mentality. And, and I'm going to just be honest, the church has been just as guilty of it as the outside world. We've adopted this feel-good Christianity, this feel-good mentality where, where we've equated happiness and holiness as being the same, and they're not. Okay, They're not the same. Happiness and holiness, they both start with H, and that's about where the similarities end. Okay, we've, we've adopted that, and so we've come up with all of these cute sayings that sound like they're probably in the Bible, sound like things that, that Jesus might say, things like, listen to your heart, or be true to yourself, or trust your gut, feel good about who you are, happiness is what matters, just be a good person. You know what, Jesus never said any of those things. But you know what Jesus did say? Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through, 80, through 38, he said this, he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. <laughs> that's what Jesus called his generation. What do you think he called ours? The Son of Man will be ashamed of Him when He comes in His Father's glory with His holy angels. Jesus said, if you want to follow Me, you've got to take up your cross. Deny yourself. A couple of years ago, I read an article that was provocatively entitled, Marriage, A Sneaky Way to Get a Person Crucified. Now, at first, that, that, that title seems a little odd, doesn't it? I mean, what in the world does marriage have to do with crucifixion? I mean, crucifixion, you know, the Romans were masters at this. This was a, a, a torture device, the, the cross was. It, it was designed to, to prolong execution as long as possible. And, and we're not going to go into all the details of it, but if you ever just read some about it or go back and watch The Passion of the Christ, I mean, that, that movie did a great job of depicting how violent and gruesome and, and just painful the crucifixion was. So, so what does that have to do with marriage, right? Because those things shouldn't be any, anywhere connected. But, but I got to thinking about that, and I thought, you know, maybe they really do have something in common. I mean, because nobody signs up to, to, for marriage, and, and they're thrilled about the prospect of learning to deny yourself, Right? Marriage is all about not, not you anymore, it's about your spouse, right? And, and, but nobody signs up for marriage just thrilled about that prospect. Nobody signs up for marriage thrilled about the idea of, oh yay, now I'm going to have all of my, my defects, all of my self-flaws nailed to the cross every day, right? Nobody ever signs up for that. Nobody wants that. Nobody thinks, thank goodness, I'm finally going to have all of my, 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 my selfishness flogged, right? Nobody, nobody thinks about that. 
Nobody goes into marriage or any other covenant in life because they're eager to take up a cross. It'd kind of be like asking our kids to sign up for, for summer camp that, with the logo of a giant mosquito, right? <laughs> you, know, you know, come to Camp Stinger where your blood is our business. Like that, that, would, be a terrible, that would be a terrible motto. And yet when I listen to the way of Jesus, it seems that kind of crazy. I mean, think about the other things that Jesus said. Turn the other cheek. Really? Pray for those who persecute you. I don't want to pray for those. Well, I'll pray for them, right? But like, as Mike is fond of saying, I'll pray for you. I'm just not going to tell you which way. Right? Uh, that's, but, but Jesus is clear about this. Be merciful to those who aren't merciful to you. Do good to those who would wish to do harm to you. Visit the criminal in prison. Give your hard-earned money to a beggar. No way. That's, that's unrealistic. It's, it's overly demanding. It's hard to walk that way of life. That's what Jesus calls us to. That's what Jesus calls us to when he says, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow him. Jesus implies in Mark 8 that when we perceive how hard and countercultural his way is, that we might actually be ashamed of his words. That, that we might be tempted to dilute and diminish or, or domesticate his teachings. A.W. Tozer was one of the finest Christian leaders of the last century. He was concerned that that's exactly what had happened to American discipleship in the, in the 1930s and 1940s. Listen to what he wrote. He said, we live in a spiritually troubled time in history. Christianity has gone over to the jingle bell crowd. In other words, Tozer felt Christianity had become a path of, of cordiality and, and modest charity. A, a sort of self-indulgent Christmas cheer. He went on to write this. He said, everyone is just delighted that Jesus has done all of the sorrowing, all of the suffering, and all of the dying. Look, avoiding the pain of the cross is not a new syndrome for followers of Jesus. This is Since Jesus has been around, since Jesus made this statement, people have been trying to avoid the pain of the cross. When writing in the 5th century, uh, Augustine wrote this. He said, it is necessary to die, but nobody wants to. We want to reach the kingdom of God, but we don't want to travel the, by way of death. And yet there stands necessity saying, this way please. Look, we have to remember that, that Christ's purpose in calling us to take up our cross is so that we might live our lives more fully. He calls us to die to our old selves so that his self, so that his heart, his soul, his mind, his strength might be more fully alive in us. You know, it's, it's like we, we get all the world has to offer us and we hold on to it with both hands and we hold on to it tight and we close our fist and we say, we're not letting go of this, right? We like what we got, we're going to hold on to it. And Christ is saying, look, I've got so much more to give you, but in order to take that, you're going to have to open up your hands and you're going to have to drop what you have so that you can be alive in me. You're going to have to die to self so that you can be more fully alive in me. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus begs his followers not to trade down in life. While, while foolishly thinking that they're trading up. He's saying, don't buy into this whole, you know, gain the whole world mentality, more for me mentality. That's the rage of, of humanity every century, all right? That's nothing new. It's not anything new in our culture. It wasn't anything new in Jesus' culture. He says, you'll only forfeit your soul if you do that. You're one shot at the most real and renewing kind of life. Look, here's, here's the blunt truth for us. If our goal is to be like Jesus, we have to do what few people will naturally do. Right? Christianity is countercultural. It's always been countercultural. And so it needs to be countercultural in our, in our era as well. And so we got to do what most people will not naturally do, and that's to choose the way of the cross, to choose the crossroad. 
We must go the way of the foolishness in the eyes of the world. Look, it, it is foolish for people to get up at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning when they could sleep in and come to church. That's foolishness in, in the eyes of most people. It's foolishness that, that in, in the eyes of most people that we would give part of our income away to support people, to support other people in other countries, to support ministries here in our town. It, that's foolishness to people. we got to choose Foolishness in the eyes of the world. We must deny the very self that we're constantly being told to coddle and to preserve and, and to expand. T- taking the crossroad requires some, some very conscious steps. And the first one is this, is that we got to make a decision on whether or not we really want to follow Jesus. Look, there are other models and there are other pathways, but there is no other way to the kingdom of God except through Jesus. There are all kinds of ways to, to self-help books that will teach you how to how to have a better life now and, and how to think better and how to get be more efficient and, and all kinds of stuff. But there is no other way to the kingdom of God except through Jesus. And so we got to make a conscious decision on whether or not we really want to follow Jesus, whether we're going to play this church game or we're going to be serious and actually be disciples and follow Jesus. We can play the game where we get our checkbox every Sunday because we showed up. How many of you remember perfect attendance stars for Sunday school? Right, like you, you got those, you got your little gold star, right? Nothing wrong with that. But, but for far too long, that's been the mentality of so many people. Is we got our gold star, we did our part today. Now Jesus says, you got, if you want to follow me, if you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross and you got to deny yourself. you got to be crucified to self so that I might live in you. How much do we really want to be like Jesus? I want to be like the clever teacher part. I want to be like the the miracle worker part. But do I want to be like the crucified part? Because that's part of who Jesus is as well. And so if we decide we want to pursue the way of Jesus, then we have to accept the fact that a progressive death to self is required. Your self has to die in order that Christ's self might come alive in you. And then lastly, we've got to start down the crossroad and resolve not to turn back, even when it gets hard. Because look, there's never been a guarantee, there's nowhere in Scripture that you will ever find that life is going to be easy. There's just not. In fact, all of us have lived long enough to know that life is hard. In fact, there's some, some of you going through some very hard stuff right now. Life is tough. And nobody ever promised that it was going to be easy. Jesus never certainly made that promise. But he did promise this. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That even as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be there with you. I will be your rod and your staff and I will comfort you. That's the hope. That's the promise. So that even when life gets tough, we don't turn our back on Jesus. Because I can guarantee you this, that if you're following Jesus, life is going to be tough. Um, I I had a friend who used to say that if Satan's not tempting you, then you probably ought to check your walk. That if, you're, if, if Satan's not after you, then, then he's not worried about you. In other words, <laughs> he's got bigger fish to fry. You're, you're not making enough difference in the kingdom. You're not f- striving to follow Jesus close enough, so he doesn't have to really worry about you. In other words, you're just like everybody else. And so he, that's always been convicting to me. That if Satan's not after me, then I need to check my walk. That maybe I need to be walking a little bit closer to Christ. I need to be striving to be more like Christ. So that Satan can be my number one adversary. Satan ought to be our number one adversary. He ought to be. I think we've gotten too comfortable 
with, with this idea of sin and, and 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 Satan. You know, we 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 talk about Satan as if he's not real, as if he's imaginary or a cartoon figure with little horns in, on his head and a and a red tail and a pitchfork, and that's kind of the image of Satan that we have. Scripture is pretty clear about the image of Satan that he prowls around the world, the earth like a ro- like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. Now we're going to go to the zoo a little later today, and I hope to see the lions, and I hope that the lion roars. It's it's kind of fascinating to watch that. But that's the image of Satan, seeking whom he might devour. Satan would love to devour us, and so guess how he's going to devour us? He's going to make life tough. He's going to make life tough for us. And so, if we're going to follow Jesus, then we have to make the decision right now, every day, when we get up first thing in the morning, Jesus, I am following you and I'm not turning back. No matter how tough life gets today, I am not turning back. I am all in. I am yours today, tomorrow, and every day from here on out. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. That that life is tough. But Jesus makes new life possible. Look, I've been married for almost 19 years now. I've been a parent for almost 17. I've been a stumbling disciple of Jesus for almost 30. And these commitments have been killing me. And therein lies my hope. I am praying toward toward that day when I can say like the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Where, Where are you at on the crossroads? What, what needs to be crucified in your life? What needs to be dead and buried in you? At, at what intersections do you need to make a conscious choice if you want to remain in the company of Jesus or, or, or know the fullness of his life? Or are you like the thieves that broke into the church at New York City? They liked Jesus, so they took him, but they left his cross behind. Look, if you think you can have a crossless Christianity, you can't. You're fooling yourself. So are you ready to take the next step and be and more fully follow him? And look, everybody has has a next step and everybody has a, a different next step, all right? Because some of you have been Christians for a long time and so your next step is different than those who are just on uh, beginning their journey in Christianity. For some of you, your next step is, is to be more involved to 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 instead of just being a disciple to start making disciples. That's for some of you, that's your next step. You've got to be more involved in the discipleship-making process of other people. For some of you, your next step is to become a disciple. It's to, to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Maybe, it, maybe it's through baptism, all right? That's how, hey, I've never, make, I've never taken this step. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be baptized. And, and baptism is such a beautiful picture of what we're talking about this morning because it's a beautiful picture of dying to self. Because, you know, in, in, our, in our tradition and because of Scripture, we immerse, we, we dunk you, right? We take you under and you're put under. And we often call the baptistry a, a watery grave. And the reason we call it that is because when you enter into that baptistry, you're dying to self. You, you're going under the water. And when you go under that water, it's like you're dead. And what do you do with dead people? You bury them, right? So you, you put them there. But what did Jesus do as a dead person? He came back to life, right? He rose up out of a grave. And so we, we don't leave you there, right? right? You're not left under the water. You're brought back up in, in newness of life as a new creation, a new creature, a new child of God. Maybe that's the step that some of you need to take today. You've never done that. Would you decide to make that step today? Maybe for some of you it's just 
The next step is, is hey, I, I need to be more involved in, in service to, to my community or more involved in service to, to, with my church or, or more, just more involved somewhere. You've gotten comfortable doing what you've always done. Jesus never called us to be comfortable. And so maybe it's time that we step. In fact, no, let me rephrase it. It's not maybe time. It is time that we step out of that comfort zone and take the next step in following Jesus, picking up our cross, denying ourself, and following Him.